Hello, and welcome to the Wednesday of Super Bowl Week edition of the Upper Bowl GM Podcast. My name is Nick Zeraris. Busy, busy, busy sports night. Lots going on out there. Super Bowl is starting to reach that fever pitch in the week where all of the takeologists are running out of things to talk about. So, you know, we're on to the inevitable legacy discussions about guys like Mahomes, who are three years into their career, and guys like Brady, whose legacy is well-established already. We're going to have that kind of take. We're going to have football takes a little bit later in the week. Today is a football episode of the Upper Bowl GM podcast, not Super Bowl-related. Even though it is not the off-season yet, it's not the off-season until the clock hits triple zeros on Sunday after, Sunday evening down in Tampa, but... One of the teams that has already made a splash for this upcoming offseason, the Detroit Lions, who traded one of their most iconic players in franchise history, Matthew Stafford, over last weekend to the Rams to fully restart a multi-year rebuild with new head coach Dan Campbell. They hired someone from the Rams front office to be their general manager. Detroit burned it down and is starting from scratch and it's why they warranted an episode and I actually know a Lions fan who was able to come on and give us a little bit of insight into her tortured existence and it made for a good conversation to be frank so I will get to the conversation in a second but please like I say every single episode please help grow the show no matter how you're listening no matter where you're listening please help grow the show, whether it's organically word of mouth, telling someone about it, leaving a review, following if you're on Spotify, subscribing if you're on Apple Podcasts, bumping it on social media, whether it's Twitter, whether it's Snapchat, Facebook, Instagram. Please help grow the show. Working on some stuff, going to have a full timeline of events in the Tony D'Angelo saga with the Rangers. That also has some questions I still have about the situation that the organization is yet to answer. And no one in the New York media or the national hockey media is actively pursuing. For the most part, it kind of seems like the story is over, at least until D'Angelo gets traded. And then maybe some more information might leak out. Until then, it kind of seems like the Rangers are going to be radio silent. And that nothing really happened aside from they were tired of D'Angelo. That will be up on Gotham SN tomorrow. Please follow the blog at Gotham SN on Twitter. Bookmark the webpage if people still do that. At GothamSportsNetwork.com. Please help spread the word. Trying to make the audience a little bit smarter every day. It's been the theme of the episodes this week. Let's get a little bit smarter about the Detroit Lions. I'll see you guys in a second. Clock it! Clock it! Clock it! Riley! Riley! He dives in for the touchdown. Did he get it? Yes, sir, he did. Touchdown, Detroit Lions. Let's go. And with that, I welcome on a now recurring guest, second appearance, made her first appearance on a day where a podcast probably shouldn't have been published. There were more important things going on in the world and you know, there was an election, that kind of thing. She was originally on back in November to talk about the Dodgers winning the World Series. And my friend Casey's here to talk about another one of her teams because 
don't know how you're a Detroit Lions fan, but the Lions are in the news, and I needed your opinion. So, first of all, welcome back. Second of all, thank you. How are you a Lions fan? Yeah, so this story, first of all, I still don't know why I'm a Lions fan, but it really came from when I was a kid. Um, most of my sports teams came from my parents, of course, and my mom wanted to get into football, but she is stubborn and was like, oh, I'm not going to pick the Giants because that's the team that, you know, my dad roots for. So she, this was back in 2008, and we all know what happened with the Lions back in 2008, going 0-16. So that's when my mom decided, hey, I'm going to be a Lions fan because they're an underdog because they went 0-16. And then she passed that on to me. So here I am dealing with uh, the eternal suffering that is the Detroit Lions. <laughs> uh, as we're recording this, I am wearing the Rob Lowe NFL logo hat because, you know, I, I'm still technically a Giants fan, but like a lot of me myself has uh, disassociated from the organization just because they've been such a joke for the last few years where it's like, yes, I'm technically still a Giants fan, but at large, I'm a football fan and I just want to watch football because football is the best. It's one of the few things that, you know, still makes people happy in this uh, pandemic universe. And the Lions are in the news because they traded probably their most important franchise player that isn't Barry Sanders in their history, I'll, I'll go out and say. I mean, you can say what you want about Calvin Johnson, but quarterback is a little bit more important than wide receiver. And they were teammates. And we'll talk a little bit about Calvin Johnson and how Matt Millen ran the Lions in the first half of this century from about 2000 to 2010, where they just kept drafting wide receivers over and over again until one of them hit. Of course, the last one they took, John, Calvin Johnson, did eventually hit, but you mentioned the 0-16 season, one of the more abysmal things I've ever seen. I mean, Dan Orlovsky, who ran into the field goal post and took a safety in his own end zone that year. Like, I was yeah. 12 years old, and I still remember that vividly. Like, I remember watching that happen live, how being like, he's in the NFL and he didn't realize he was running out of room in the end zone. And Orlovsky is part of this story too, because he was a teammate of Stafford's. He's been doing the rounds on ESPN, gassing up Stafford to the Rams. Like this is the second coming of Jesus that, well, the Rams have to be favorites in the NFC now. So before we start unpacking that, let's talk a little bit about just what's it like been with Matt Stafford for all these years. Cause we all in the football populace, we all have the same collective opinion of Matt Stafford. He's always been pretty good. He's never really had a ton of talent around him. He's never had a good defense. He's only made the playoffs once. They lost that one game they played. They got jobbed in that game. They should have won that game. There was a blown pass interference call that they didn't call on the Cowboys. And that's why God smited the Cowboys the following week in Green Bay when Dez mm -hmm. tried to reach for the end zone and they ruled it you know, incomplete pass. God balanced everything out. The Lions probably should have won that game. So talk to me about Matt Stafford at, from a fan's perspective. Yeah, I mean, from the perspective of a Lions fan, I've always loved Matthew Stafford. I've always thought he's, you know, underrated and overlooked in the league. Um, because like you said, he hasn't really had that talent around him. They never built around him. They never really tried to give him the support that he really needed. And when they did do that, it was with players that they knew weren't going to pan out. I mean, like you mentioned already, Calvin Johnson was the best, you know, that he had. And when he had Calvin Johnson, you know, that's when the Lions were arguably playing their best. Um, so from the fan perspective, I just have always thought that he's underrated, overlooked, and I, I enjoyed having him in Detroit. I mean, he made the games enjoyable to watch, especially like 
I always say give Matt, Matt Stafford the ball with two minutes left in the fourth quarter down by a touchdown or a field goal. It, your chances of tying or winning the game are pretty good. Um, so I just I enjoyed having him in Detroit, but I'm excited uh, for him to get a new start with the Rams. Uh, I think he can definitely flourish there. Stafford has always been an interesting guy. Uh, he's going to have a very interesting post-career retrospective from sports media people like me who we're going to look at his counting stats and he's going to be in the top five of every major statistical category when it's all said and done just because he's only 33 years old now and he's still probably going to play for several more years. And he's had some very gaudy counting stats a number of years through for 4,000 yards pretty much every single year he was in Detroit because more often than not the Lions were playing from behind so you're throwing more you're trying to play catch up that kind of thing and it leads to you know gaudy stats I mean the year Breeze the first time Breeze threw for 5,000 yards was the year the Saints went six and ten because if you're losing a lot you have to throw more because throwing the ball is a more efficient way of moving the ball which is one of the things we can talk about how the Lions have always missed cast misused the talent they've had when I was looking through doing preparation I was looking draft picks that kind of thing of like all right they've drafted pretty high in the first round a lot of Stafford's tenure there what have they done around him and just looking through it's a lot of misvalue I mean Jeff Okuda didn't play a lot this year he had COVID for a while he missed a number of games he didn't have a full training camp rookie corner who went from playing in a zone defense at Ohio State to playing man coverage in Matt Patricia's defense. Fine, it's one year. You don't have to write him off. The year before, T.J. Hawkinson, pretty good. Hawkinson had nice stats this year. He didn't really give you much last year, but rookie tight ends typically don't. Hawkinson is a decent piece. You would go with the year before. Frank Ragnow, offensive lineman, he's fine. Jared Davis, eh, he's not a bad linebacker, but I would not have taken him in the first round. And then there's a lot of offensive linemen drafted who never really – or anything above replacement and I'm a strong believer in you draft your offensive lineman until you're ready and then you put try and put in the quarterback unless you're picking in like the top five and then you take the quarterback and you figure out the offensive line later the Lions have never really complimented Stafford during his tenure they've had nice pieces I mean Kenny Galladay is a pretty good receiver Marvin mm -hmm. Jones is pretty good Hawkinson who I'd mentioned we go a little bit further back they had a few good years of Reggie Bush production in there They've always had decent guys, but the defense was never that good. That was really the glaring thing is that they always had to score 30-ish points a game. And yeah. a lot of that comes down to talent evaluation and that kind of thing where it's the front office putting the guys on the field. And at some point, you can only blame Stafford so much. And to your point about him going to the Rams, one of the things that you sent in the chat we were having before was just in terms of getting the most out of your players. Something in the last few years that's really exploded is the pre-snap motion stuff, using play action, using bootlegs, using design rollouts, all things to make your quarterback's life easier so they have less decisions to make. When you're using play action, that usually means the linebackers and safeties are crashing down towards the line. It opens up a part of the field, easier throw. If you're using a play action rollout, you're cutting the field in half. He only has to look at two or three guys. Lions did not use a ton of that. They had Daryl Bevel as their offensive coordinator for the last few years. Nothing flashy, a very vanilla 2014-15 offense. And I imagine it was pretty frustrating to watch. Yeah, it, it definitely has been frustrating um, because I always feel like they're two or three steps behind the rest of the league. Like they, they 
like you said, using that 2014, 2013 method, like they just haven't, you know, adjusted to where the league is currently at, what the meta currently is, like how, how things are done, what winning teams do. They just never have gotten there. They've never taken that step. And, and to your point about receivers and offensive linemen, like, yeah, they're, they're good, they're decent, but they've never gotten over that hump of decent. They've always just kind of been there. They haven't, I mean, they had Stafford, they have Stafford, they had Stafford, but they never really brought in people that they could use to build around him that were at a skill level that would make them a competitive team. Um, you know, like just mismanaging draft picks, mismanaging trades, not making trades they should have made or this, that, and the other thing I could go on all day about it, but it's definitely frustrating um, because they had the talent there at the quarterback position. They just never did anything to support it. And that goes for both front office, you know, coaching staff, player, player skill level, everything pretty much. Yeah. And it's one thing that, you know, at some point, I, I know you can't like just take a team away from people. I know the Fords have owned the Lions since like, you know, the Model T, but some point you you, you got to give people something to care about i mean you're asking for people's money for tickets for their support and doing things you know eventually the lions are going to want to build a new stadium and they're going to ask for public money to do it and you know there's a public interest in your team being good and just consistent mismanagement and bungling things a perfect example is bringing in matt patricia the Eagles scored 41 points on his defense in the Super Bowl, and the Lions said, all right, that's our guy. We want him. And he immediately changed what they did on defense. They did not have personnel to run man coverage on defense. So what did Matt Patricia – he went and brought in a bunch of former Patriots to run a man defense to take advantage of what he thought would work. But, you know, it didn't work. And you get things like – all of the former Patriots they brought in who were, you know, they're not bad football players, but they're older. There's a reason the Patriots let those guys go to go like Trey Flowers, like Danny Amendola, that kind of thing. There's a reason New England let them go. And the reason Patricia was let go, that he tried to make Patriots North. And there's a reason it hasn't worked for any Belichick assistant. If you want to give Bill O'Brien credit for the few good years he had in Houston, I'll listen to that argument. But no one is taking Bill's personality and mantra and making it their own and doing anything with it. And I know it rubbed a lot of people on the team the wrong way, the way he treated them, the way he was just constantly on their asses being a Belichick. And I know I've read more than one story that's either anonymously sourced or from people around the league who said that Patricia was basically just trying to be a bully, doing a Belichick impression. And that's not who he was. And it didn't work. And it rubbed a lot of people the wrong way and it's why you see all those guys who as soon as they were able to leave the last few years they dipped they were out you saw like where they traded Bradley McDougal to the Seahawks and he was immediately relieved mm -hmm. exactly like I, I when they brought in Patricia I was like okay well we'll see how this goes like is he gonna be a Belichick or is he gonna have his own and take on his own you know image personality as a head coach and he he obviously didn't and tried to be a mini Belichick. And it just, like you said, it just didn't work. Um, and the second that your team is not on the same page as your coach, like it's, nothing is going to work. Um, and he came into a team that was already in shambles. 
So it was just such a, I, I don't know, it was, it wasn't good for anybody. Um, and I am glad he's gone. I'm glad, you know, he's out of there. From what I've seen of the new coach, I like him thus far. His uh, presser was something else. But like, but like we said, like that's bringing some people back. Like that presser alone, you know, got a lot of people excited for what's to come. So I think, you know, bringing in a fresh face and that goes in with, that goes for, for golf too. I mean, bringing in fresh faces, you know, changing things up because things, things have been stagnant with the Lions for so long that, you know, there needs to be change and these changes are big and they're, you know, for people like me that love Stafford and, you know, love what he did for the team, like they're, they're sad, but they're necessary for the good of the team and moving forward and that they actually want to be a competent competitive football team i know i i forget who i saw made this comparison but it's basically how when you break up with someone you date like the polar opposite of them and that's what the lions did in hiring dan campbell who's the polar opposite of matt patricia where Uh matt patricia was this scruffy homeless looking guy who was a hard ass who didn't actually play high level football who always kind of tried to rub people a little bit too abrasively to push them to do well. Whereas Dan Campbell is just like, he's a guy's guy. He's constantly mm-hmm. rah-rah. He's banging on his chest. I remember when he was the interim coach of the Dolphins a number of years ago, he, he was a meathead. That guy, he's six foot seven. He's leaning over the podium because he's so tall. I remember yep. Dan Campbell playing in the NFL, like not that long ago. Like there are yeah. clips of him in the NFL. This is the polar opposite of what they had. And, like you said, when you've been stagnant for so long, going to the polar opposite is a natural reaction. And mm-hmm. in theory, that's a good thing. At least in theory, exactly. it is a good thing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the other thing I like, too, is you mentioned he played in the NFL. He played for the Lions for a while. So he knows what Detroit has been like. Like, he's been there. He's actually lived it and experienced it. So he, I think, more than anyone they could have hired, you know, has the fire to kind of you know change what's happening like because he he played there and obviously things were not good when he was playing there so you know coming back now as a coach and being in a position to make decisions and bring people in and do all of these different things I think is going to be really good for the team um just just to shake things up like you said polar opposite get a change because obviously you know the Matt Patricia era did not go well at all and in fact probably just made things worse than they already were didn't know that was possible but it was um but bringing in a guy like Dan Campbell like I'm excited I mean I'm excited to to see someone on the team or involved with the Lions in general that has some semblance of passion um because that's another thing they've been missing is is beside probably Stafford and a couple other players is is passion um and the the want and the drive to to win um so I think that's something that they've been lacking for so long they didn't really have an identity and I think that's a, a thing a lot of teams struggle with in the NFL is that when you have roster turnover pretty consistently because there's just so much roster turnover in the NFL it's really hard to get something going, especially when your team is struggling, because it's hard for you to bring people into an environment like that, where Patricia just wanted to bring in the guys he knew from his time in New England and work from there and then try and get it, mold the guys that were already in Detroit into 
something resembling New England. And, you know, that just it hasn't worked around the league, to be frank. So changing up gears a little bit here, I know they brought in someone from the Rams front office to be their new GM, which is good. The Rams have a very creative front office. They they've been I don't want to say at the forefront of being aggressive, but yeah, they have. They traded for whether you want to go back a few years when they traded for Marcus Peters, when they traded for Jalen Ramsey, when they gave Gurley that enormous contract and then cut him. Now, obviously, they gave Goff that enormous contract after they made the Super Bowl and they traded him to Detroit. They gave away draft picks to get rid of him. The, the Rams are an aggressive front office that's, that feels like they are in a window to compete. Obviously, the Lions are starting basically from scratch because – I am skeptical of what golf is at this point. I'm going to ask you about golf in a second, but mm-hmm. if you're going to do a crib notes version of another team, the Rams are a good starting point. Now, a lot of what works for the Rams is that, you know, they have a really creative offense. That's like job is to make the quarterback's life easier. And it's why they were able to get pretty good production out of golf the last few years, even though golf has physical limitations. So putting Stafford in said offense should in theory, get you better results. Granted, I saw someone say this the other day. I forget who. I think it was someone at the Athletics said, well, the Rams went from having the third best quarterback in the NFC West to having the third best quarterback in the NFC West. And that's probably fair, to be honest. I think Mm -hmm. Russell Wilson is better than Matthew Stafford and Kyler Murray very well might be better than Matthew Stafford. So first, Mm -hmm. what, what are your impressions of Goff and how do you feel about the Lions taking Goff? Is this more just all right, I get it. We got the extra draft pick because we took him. Or is it, uh, all right, this guy has some upside because he's made a Super Bowl. You can't be a total spaz and make the Super Bowl. Yeah, I feel like Goff is a slippery slope because I feel like when he came into the league, he had a lot of potential and people had a lot of high expectations of him. They're like, okay, Goff is going to do this. He's going to be great. Like He's going to do all of these things. And then he kind of just, didn't like he wasn't terrible but he wasn't as good as people had expected him to be so he's just kind of a middle of the road mid-tier quarterback and yeah he made a Super Bowl which I think is you know part of the reason the Lions went with that trade is because he has that experience and he's been there before but I also think it's just I'm interested to see how he's going to do with a change of scenery because like you see it across all sports major players going to different teams different conferences whatever um after they have been playing mid-tier subpar below what people have expected them to be and then like just exploding and on a different team so do I think that's going to happen with Goff I don't know with the Lions with what the Lions have now I don't see it happening this year um they have to make some other changes for for anything like that to happen um, I think this is a more longer term trade with those draft picks. I mean, they have the third this year and then the first, the next two years. Um, so it's going to be a matter of what they do with those, with those trades. But I do think Goff has an upside. It's just a matter of whether that upside can be tapped into in a way that he wasn't fully able to get there with the Rams. Um, do I think he's the next Russell Wilson? No. Um, do I think he's the next Matt Stafford? No, but I think he has his own upsides. And I think a change of scenery, a change of team, a change of pace, new leadership, I think will do him well because he's still a young guy. I mean, he's 
there's upside there. It's interesting because, you know, Goff was the first overall pick in the draft less than five years ago. And when typically you take a quarterback number one overall, it's either the traditional boom guy. You have someone you take first overall like Cam Newton, like Stafford, who hits right away. You can tell this guy gets it. Or you have the guys that burn out and do nothing. It's very rare for a guy who goes number one overall to just kind of be meh. And granted, there's nothing wrong with being meh. I cannot play football as well as Jared Goff. So like I often say, yes, slandering guys on the internet is fun, but it's important to keep it all in the relative context of, yeah, Jared Goff is eh, but I couldn't do what he does. And there are flashes there. You see why he went first overall. The first half of their game against the Packers, for a guy with who was playing with a thumb that was less than two weeks removed from being surgically repaired, he was throwing pretty nice spirals up the seams. Granted, Green Bay secondary is kind of meh. You attack them mm-hmm. in the right places, you can work. But I don't think Goff is a total write-off of just, all right, we took this guy to get the extra co- the extra draft picks. We're going to draft a quarterback and start them right away. I think more than likely you're going to start Jared Goff for at least the 2021 NFL season, if not the 2021 and 2022 season. Just Absolutely. because, I mean, they're picking high this year. It depends what happens in front of them who gets picked where I probably, I assume the jets are going quarterback at two. I assume the dolphins are going to go skill position at three, unless they trade out. And then Atlanta is in the ballpark for a quarterback. And then you get to the lions where if Zach Wilson and Justin Fields are both off the board, I don't know what the lions do at five, but yeah, maybe I know I've seen in more than one mock draft, them taking a defensive player, which all right, you have Goff. Let's take someone like a Micah Parsons, uh, Caleb Farley, um, a Patrick Sertan, someone in that ballpark where, all right, we took a corner number with our first pick in 2019. Let's take a corner here. Excuse me, 2020, they took Akuda. Yeah, 2020 draft is Akuda. Let's take a corner and a corner or a linebacker in a corner. There's no pass rushers in this draft, which is tough for a lot of teams because the Lions need pass rushers. The Giants do, the Eagles do. There's no like elite pass rusher. There's no Chase Young. So I do think the Lions are going to be very interesting over the next few years, just from a team building perspective, because they're pretty close to a blank slate. They have a lot of guys who are free agents. I know Kenny Galladay is the big one. A lot of people assume they're going to franchise tag him because you can't let a guy like that leave for nothing. And that's, you know, a struct, a system that I don't think is particularly fair to players. The franchise tag existing is kind of BS that, well, we can't agree to a contract, so you can't be a free agent because we say so. That doesn't really, that's not in the spirit of what free agency is supposed to be. And it's unfair to a guy like Kenny Galladay, who probably wants to get as far away from Detroit as he possibly can. And we saw that he got hurt. I think it was his hip, like week nine or 10 of the season. And he just never came back this year because he was worried about himself and he wanted to be a free agent. And we'll see what they end up doing. It's as close to a blank slate in the NFL as you can get, basically. Yeah. And I honestly, at this point, I'm all for that. Like, typically, I'm not for blow it all up and restart. But with the Lions at this point, there's nothing else to do. They've tried, they've tried, I'm air quoting everything else. Um, They, and it just hasn't panned out. So I, I want this team to have a new identity to be looked at differently in the league. I want this team to look at themselves differently. Um, and I think, you know, trading 
your franchise quarterback, quarterback that, you know, has carried this team to many, many wins, has gotten them to the playoffs, has pretty much single-handedly done it all. Trading him away, I think, sends a message to, a big message to the players that are staying, to future players, to Jared Goff, to a lot of people. Um, And I'm, like I said, blank slates are scary, but I think now, now is the time to do something if they're going to do it. You know, you're starting this over, you're blowing it all up. You, You have to, you have to do something with it. You can't just do what you did, you know, back in 2016 and before, and even after you can't do that again. Like you, you tried it once, it didn't work. Okay. Now we do it again and we do it right this time. Um, and that, that goes for drafting like well, like actually making smart choices when it comes to drafting, making smart trades, not giving up all of your assets, you know, because that's what they would do is just they, they'd have no position in the drafts. Like they'd have no, they wouldn't have the chance to get the valuable players because they traded away the assets to get it. Um, so I think blowing this all up, starting this all over, just pretty much being a whole new team is the best route for them to go as difficult as it is. But like I said, the fact that it is difficult sends a message to a lot of people, particularly the players, the coach, the new coach, um, those that have stuck around and the fans, you know, like, like me and I follow, I'm, I follow a lot of uh, Lions like fan pages on Twitter and stuff like that because they they do exist um, in the, the the depths of Twitter, but like they're they're excited about this too. Like you know, I, I just think this is a this is an opportunity, and they got to make the most of it. And like again with golf, I, I think you know, do I think he's going to be the next Lions franchise quarterback? I don't know. I think they're definitely going to be playing him for the next couple of years. Um, but again, too, like thinking about his time with the Rams, he was drafted in what, 2016? That's when the Rams were making all of their moves. They were changing their going back to California from St. Louis, changing their team identity, doing all of these things. So, you know, that could have been a part of why he may not have reached, you know, the, the, level that people thought he would because like you said he was a first overall pick you expect your first overall pick to you know perform like a first overall pick and you know he didn't really get there um but I think a lot of that could be attributed again to the back and forth with the Rams and the moving and the the you know becoming the Los Angeles Rams again and so I don't know I'm uncertain about the future but if they do what they should do, I could see it playing out well. I mean, it's definitely a, a long game. It's not going to happen in the next year or two. It's going to be the next five years. But if if they do things right, uh, you know, I could see it happening. And I, I, like you mentioned the Fords earlier, I don't know how I feel about them. Like you said, they've been around for a long time. Um, but I think... 
as much as I love them, taking away some of the uh, decision-making power from them, putting it on some of the new guys would also be really, really good for the team. But then making the Stafford trade kind of says to me that they're also ready for change. So going off of a few things you had in there, because there's a few things you said that made me think of things. So first thing you talked about golf in LA, we know for a fact that more than once Sean McVay kind of was like backhandedly, like to the media in his availability, like, complaining about golf's limitations and you know that that weighs on a guy that's probably a little bit of a all right well this guy is probably trying to push me out because he thinks he could do better with someone else that's probably a little bit in the back of your head he obviously broke his hand and what was that week 16 or 17 yeah week 16 where he was throwing yeah against Seattle he was throwing he broke his hand on the guy's helmet he had surgery like four days later and then in the wild card game he got into the game and was out there with a very badly swollen thumb and trying his best to give them something because John Walford got concussed on that Jamal Adams hit. And so part of it is probably, yeah, Goff has physical limitations and McVay was getting frustrated with him and felt, I'm doing all of this great work. We have this great scheme. We get the counting stats. We have decent production, but I need someone who can make more throws, who can push the ball down the field a little bit more, who can be who I can trust. And a lot of play calling comes down to how much do you trust your quarterback? And it's why you see the same teams making the deep runs all of the time. It's the teams that trust their quarterback to make decisions, to be aggressive, that get further because being aggressive is how you win in football. You have to be willing to throw on early downs. You have to be willing to use play action in unconventional situations to keep the defense off balance. All these things bleed into each other. So that was the first thing I wanted to touch on you mentioned. The second Mm -hmm. thing is, in terms of blank slate, I think part of the problem the Lions have had a lot of this decade especially is that they always thought they were pretty close to being a playoff team just because they had Stafford. And they were always, you know, picking eighth, picking 11th, picking seventh. When in reality, I talk about this all the time, you're better off bottoming out and being garbage than winning six or seven games because you be garbage for one year and you get a guy like a Chase Young who is a dominant edge rusher the minute he steps on the field and there's nothing you can do. And yes, a lot of that, you you do have to hit on your draft picks. There, there's no excuse for not hitting on your draft picks and for misusing positional value. Some positions are worth more than others. A tight end is not something you draft on a team that only had five wins the year before. That kind of thing. You got to put your players in a position to succeed, and you have to have the right positions ironed out first. Offensive linemen, pass rushers, quarterback, those are your building blocks. Once you have those, then you can start looking at tight ends, receivers, running backs, corners. You want to iron out the important positions. And the last thing I wanted to touch on and what you said Going full teardown is a process. Do I think it's going to work out? I don't know a lot about Brad Holmes, the guy they hired to be their general manager, because he's an assistant GM. He doesn't have a track record. He's never been a, a, full, a full GM on his own before. But there's all of the potential in the world. You have these extra draft picks. You have... Jeff Okuda, who is a nice building block to start working your defense around. You have DeAndre Swift, who showed you flashes last year when he wasn't concussed. Other than that, though, I mean, both Kenny Galladay and Marvin Jones are free agents. You have Trey Flowers, you're paying all this money, and you have Goff, and you have Hawkinson. 
there's not a ton of proven NFL talent on the roster, and it makes for interesting conversation for people like me who eat, sleep, and breathe the NFL because all I do in my free time is like, well, if they draft this guy who I watched play that one game at Hawaii at 1.30 in the morning in November of 2018, <laughs> team building is the most interesting aspect in football because so many guys are on an NFL roster that every single roster spot counts. And for a team like Detroit, they've never really committed to getting the most out of their talent. They never put Stafford in a position to just outright ball. And I want to see Detroit be a little bit more aggressive, try and do things to put whoever they play a quarterback, whether it's Goff or if it's Fields, if it's Zach Wilson, if it's Trey Lance, if it's Mac Jones, whoever, if they take a quarterback this year, you got to put your guy in a position to succeed and none of the half measures. That is the main thing I took away from what you said before. No more half measures. No more, all right, we went seven and nine. Let's go throw a bunch of money at free agents and try and get that extra win that we didn't get there. You didn't get those extra two wins because you didn't manage the game well. I know last year they blew, I want to say, six leads they had at halftime because Patricia just didn't have a good feel for game management. And they were way too conservative. And they they never had a running game, which was something that frustrated me watching them is – why are you running on first and second down when you can't establish the run? If anything, mm-hmm. you're better off putting Stafford out there and telling him, all right, Matt, I need you to get me seven yards on first down. That way we can run the ball two times or we can throw once, pass once. The more the more ahead of the sticks you are, the more opportunities you have, the better advantages you have as an offense. Running on first down, running on second down, and putting Stafford in a third and seven did not put him in a position to succeed. And just someone who, you know, likes good football, it's frustrating. You want to see teams mm-hmm. do well. The more good teams there are, the better football is. And the Lions, the two years, they went nine and seven in a row with Jim Caldwell. They were fun. They had that one year. Mm-hmm. They had the one year where Stafford was playing out of his mind. They had all the fourth quarter comebacks. They had the game where he dislocated his shoulder and still jumped yeah. over the goal line on the fake spike. There were flashes there, and you saw what Stafford could do. Now it's a matter of the Lions, you know, acknowledging that they were the problem and helping their guys out. Maximize what you have. This is a blank slate, and it's got to be probably, you're probably a little bit relieved because you you won't get as heartbroken this year because I, yeah. I know you're like me where if you go into something with low expectations, you'll feel better about it because – Oh, well, all right. Wow. We won seven games this year. I wasn't expecting that. I'll take that. Yep, exactly. And, you know, my, honestly, my expectations for the Lions haven't been high for a long time. Um, Probably since those two nine and seven seasons where I actually enjoyed sitting down on a Sunday afternoon and watching them play football because they were a fun team to watch. Like, yeah, you knew they weren't going to the Super Bowl. They weren't winning the Super Bowl, but they were a fun team. And a lot of that stemmed from giving Stafford room to be Stafford. Like, I felt like a lot of his time here, he was held back from, you know, being able to, to play at his full potential, whether like from coaching decisions or, you know, whatever, like, like you said, running it on first and second down, getting a total of maybe two yards, most of the time losing yards because they never were able to establish a run game throwing Stafford out on a third, seven, third, eight, 
and you know don't convert you know Stafford back on the bench like he he they never really gave him except for those two nine and seven seasons like you talked about they never gave him you know the the chance to be the player that we all know he can be uh and that was incredibly frustrating for me to watch and that brought a lot of you know slack on him on social media and in the news and, and just in the NFL world in general because like I was like oh Stafford is you know he can't convert on third down he can't do this he can't do that but he the only time he gets a chance to throw the ball is after two failed run attempts on a third down like and then you see him drive down the field with two minutes left to win the game like you know that he can do that and it takes a good quarterback to be able to to run plays like that uh so when he's able to call some of his own shots and, and do what he knows how to do he's a really good quarterback not the best in the league but he's really good um and another thing you mentioned too is the running game that is something that has been my one of my biggest sources of frustration with the lions for a, for a long time is they just put zero effort really into establishing a, a halfway decent running game um, I remember I've been to one Lions game. It was Lions Giants a couple of years ago. Um, and it was just like, it was almost boring because the Lions would try to run the ball on like first, second down every single time. And they'd get, you know, maybe a yard, maybe two, usually would lose yards. Like they, they don't have that run game there. They don't have people to make that hole or people that can get that run. Like they, they just... And that brings a lot of spark to a team too. And for a quarterback, when you can get that big run in like that, you see the team, the two teams that are in the Super Bowl now, they know how to run the ball. They know how to get those openings and make those plays. And that's incredibly important to, to a football team. And the Lions didn't have that either. So there's just so many gaps in, in the team and it, things that need to be addressed if they want to, to perform at a high level. And I think what you mentioned with Stafford, like a lot of it came down to, to mismanagement and not letting him play how he wants to play or how he just should be play, playing. Just to play good football. The, exactly. The Chiefs are in the Super Bowl because they throw more on first down than any other team in the league. The Buccaneers exactly. throw the third most of any team on first down. You got to maximize your guys. And to finish up your point on the running game, They've had decent running backs. Amir Abdullah mm-hmm. was very good at Nebraska. Carryon Johnson was very good at Auburn. DeAndre Swift was very good in flashes. The problem is that they're predictable. The other team exactly. knows when they're going to run the ball, and when you know a run is coming, you load up the box, and you don't have to think about it. And Two to three steps behind, as always. Yeah, it's, it's difficult, is how I will wrap up that point. It's difficult. There's mm-hmm. nothing worse than being a fan of a mediocre or just outright bad football team and it's just like wow this is really going to ruin my entire Sunday I'm going to sit down and watch the Giants play football for three and a half hours and I'm going to be miserable the entire time and then I'm going to have to think about what I'm going to have to do on Monday because your Sunday series compounded with your bad football team make your weekend a lot less enjoyable and it's why I you know watch Red Zone and have the Giants on mute on the other TV because I can't do it to myself. It's too frustrating mm-hmm. to even get mad over at this point. And I hope for your sake that the Lions not taking half measures is a changing of the guard and a sign that 
all right, they acknowledged the last 20 years didn't work. Let's let's try again. Because mm-hmm. my team is not acknowledging that the last five years haven't worked. They're, <laughs> my team is still pretty complacent that they've won two Super Bowls in the last 20 years and that, well, we'll figure it out eventually. We won those two Super Bowls, so we got to know what we're doing. Yeah, at least you're not the Jets, though. The Giants are very close to becoming the punchline. I mean, if the Jets get Deshaun Watson, the Giants will very quickly become the joke on the back page of the Post and the Daily News, which I hope. That's true. Bullying works, and it works in the sports world in that context because teams get frustrated with that. I know it keeps James Dolan up at night that he's the punching bag of every New York news publication because it's an easy punchline that people Mm -hmm. don't like him and – you know, he fundraised for that woman who ran for Congress on Staten Island solely because the guy she was running against made fun of the Knicks being bad. Like, exactly. I, it, it, I forget the guy's first name, but his last name was Rosen. He tweeted something about the Knicks being a laughing stock, and Dolan solicited donations from other owners in the NBA for Nicole Milikatis, I think is how you pronounce her last name, solely because he was made fun of. I need someone to start making fun of the Maras so they actually care about winning football games. Because yeah. this, this isn't about, you know, we get to hang Eli's jersey in the rafters someday. I would like to win a Super Bowl again before I die. I would like to be able to appreciate one. It's hard to appreciate a championship as a kid because, you know, you're like 10 years old. You don't understand how difficult it is because you've only been alive for 10 years. Now, at 23 years old, you realize, well, shit, I might not get another one. And for your sake, I just hope the Lions can, like, you know, make the playoffs, like, every two years. So, like, you get to experience that. Because when your football team is good and you actually go into games with confidence, like, they can do this, there's really no better feeling. Like, the two giant Super Bowl runs every single week, aside from 2007 when they made the Super Bowl, it was like, they can do this. I, I actually believe in them. And there really is no better feeling of any of the, your teams Maybe if you have a really good hockey team, maybe you have that confidence in them. But football is a little different because, you know, it's one game the whole week and you got to think about it for the whole week. For your sake, I hope your Lions start putting it together because they have all of the opportunity now. You mm-hmm. this, year, this next year doesn't matter. You can go be as bad or as good as you want, and it doesn't matter because, you know, you're going to have all these draft picks. You're going to have tap space. There's time. Blank slates are fun from a talent perspective because you have every opportunity in the world to get better. Yeah, and I, the only way, only place to go now from here is up. Exactly. And yeah, the, the, you really can't get much lower. Like you, you, there's nowhere else to go anymore. It's just a matter of how far up they can go. And they can go far if they make the right choices, if they make the most of these opportunities, if, if they're able to be, to, to stop mismanaging players and draft picks and stop being predictable, stop, you know, having teams be like, oh, we're playing the Lions this week. This is an easy win. Like there's no confidence there right now. And yeah, it's going to take a while to build that. But once, they, if they can build that confidence, I, I, I have confidence that they could be you know, a team that's actually, I don't, I don't want to say like scary, but like a team that people are going to take seriously. Um, and it, it's just a matter of whether or not they do it. Uh, and I really hope that 
not just for my sake, but for their sake that they do. Um, because like you said, you know, going into a game, not having the confidence that your team is going to do anything worthwhile sucks. Like, and I've, I got to, I got the win with the Dodgers, you know, last year and that felt great. And, you know, there was nothing better than watching the Dodgers knowing that, okay, they're probably going to win this game. Like, you know, they're, knowing that they have the skill to do that, knowing that they have the skill to, to take leads, to make comebacks, to do all of these things, that skill, that confidence is not there with the Lions. I don't think it really ever has fully been there. Um, so, you know, it, it, it's just, they need to build, they need to build that. Um, and I'm hoping these fresh faces, you know, kickstart that. This is the start of Super Bowl week on this podcast yesterday and Monday kind of talked more big picture things around the world. The Lions are one of the interesting NFL teams going forward. As the NFL offseason gets going, going to have more people come talk big picture stuff where the league is going. I know there will be an ungodly amount of draft conjecture. I will have a lot of people who can come on to talk about that. There will be an Eagles episode either later this week or early next week. I got to iron out when I'm recording that, but Casey was the start of the NFL offseason because the Lions story, the Matt Stafford story is still fresh in everyone's mind. So want to have someone come talk about that. But tomorrow's episode will be matchups and takeaways in the Super Bowl. Rewatch the game the two teams played earlier in the regular season. Some takeaways, some things I've read, some things I've heard on other people's shows, that kind of thing. To kind of give a nice aggregation of information to think about. And then Friday's just going to be me talking about just it's a good time to be a football fan. So, Casey, I would like to thank you for making your first recurring appearance. You will be back to talk about the Rangers at some point because <laughs> you and I, you and I have the same are on the same wavelength in terms of frustration and just general. Are, are we serious, guys? Are, are we really going to yeah. do this? So, absolutely. That won't be, you know, the big brain stats and expected goals conversation. That'll be the these are grown ass men and they can't handle their business. And it's very frustrating as people who care about the team. So mm -hmm. with all of that said, I will see you guys tomorrow. See ya.